I'm kind of a, I'm a recovering philosopher, now uh, conducting empirical work in the anthropology department uh, here. And I'm, broadly speaking, I'm interested in, in morality. Uh, what, is this, what is this moral stuff all about, these moral phenomena? How can we make sense of them? Uh, how do they work? What are they for? And in the project I'm going to be talking about today, uh, whether and to what extent do morals vary around the world? So let's start with a, a big question and a, a big answer, a big, uh, big conjecture. What, what is morality? Uh, well, the big conjecture is that morality is all about cooperation. It's a var variety of different strategies for promoting different types of cooperation, pr for promoting common good. And the basic idea is that humans face and have faced a range of diff uh, different problems of cooperation uh, and ways of resolving conflict. They face a range of different non-zero-sum in interactions with, with other people. And they have evolved and invented a range of solutions to those, those problems, ways of unlocking non-zero-sum benefits, of, of realizing mutually beneficial uh, outcomes. Uh, these these uh, solutions come in a range of shapes and sizes. Some, some are instincts, some are intuitions, some are institutions, some are conventions, norms, laws, uh, uh, rules, the whole coming of all different types of things. But collectively, these different mechanisms motivate our, our social, cooperative, and altruistic behavior, and they provide the criteria by which we evaluate the behavior of others. So when, you're, when people are wondering what's the right thing to do, what's the morally good thing to do on this thesis, what they're really doing is saying, what's the cooperative move to make in this situation? And similarly, when they're judging other people's behavior, they're asking whether the other person made the, the, the cooperative move uh, in, their, in their situation. And the other thing is, it's this, these range of mechanisms, these range of cooperative mechanisms that philosophers and others have called morality. I sometimes get asked, what's, what's the relationship between cooperation and morality? And the answer is there is no relationship because they're not two different things. Morality is just the name we give to these mechanisms and their products, and sometimes their byproducts. So the idea that morality has something to do with cooperation is not new. You can find examples of this idea in, in a range of scholars through the ages, from Aristotle all the way through to Rawls. And it's a fairly common idea in contemporary research in, in moral psychology and moral anthropology. So here, for example, <coughs> psychologist Jonathan Haidt here is arguing that uh, moral systems are what make cooperative social life possible. The anthropologists uh, Tage Ray and Alan Fisk arguing that morality functions to maintain uh, cooperative relationships. The primatologist and developmental psychologist Michael Tomasello saying that morality is a set of skills and motives for cooperating with others. Uh, it's always with others, you can't really cooperate on your own. Uh, Joshua Green, psychologist, argued that the function of morality is to sustain cooperation, and uh, some philosophers getting in on the act, moral facts are facts about cooperation, and the conditions and practices that support or undermine it. So it's a, it's a, it's a common view, it's, a, it's a, an established view in the literature. However, what none of these previous accounts do is make use of the mathematics of cooperation, of, of the game theory of non-zero-sum interactions. Uh, and when you do, you get something that looks a bit like this. So down on the left-hand side are a range of different types of cooperation. Uh, in each case, there's, there's good uh, theory, evolutionary game theory underpin underpinning it, showing 
how it could evolve, how it could, how it could be sustained, and how it solves a particular uh, different type of cooperative problem. Uh, in each case, there's uh, examples of, in some, most cases, there's examples of other species cooperating in these ways, of employing these strategies. Uh, there's also examples of humans behaving in these ways. Obviously, there's a big debate about to what extent these beha human behaviour is nature versus nurture, and I think the answer is it's a, it's a bit of both. But whatever the answer to that question, there's no doubt that, that people <coughs> behave in these ways. And, uh, and down here are, here's, here are the philosophers uh, over here. In each case, these cooperatives, you can find examples of philosophers celebrating these traits as uh, one or other of these traits or collectively as important elements of morality. So I suspect most of these will be familiar to most of, most of you. But, uh, but kinship, kin selection, kin altruism explains why we, why we love our families, why we care for our families, um, why we feel a special obligation to care for them. And you, uh, it's very widespread in, in other species and uh, in human social life. And you can find philosophers celebrating uh, the, the duty of parents, the, the special duty of care that parents have to their, kid, to their kids. Uh, conf Confucian... Confucianist moralists celebrating uh, making a priority of the duties one has to one's families that is the crown of the virtues um, and uh, a widespread uh, the widespread prohibition of something that's deleterious <coughs> to, to kin altruism uh, incest being regarded as something morally wrong uh, mutualism is the idea that you people often do better working together than they do by working alone going it alone uh, this explains why we why we form groups, why we value those groups, why we value solidarity and unity and uh, conformity and teamwork. Uh, uh, plenty of examples of, of other species um, forming mutually beneficial interactions, usually relatively simple, like herds and shoals and uh, flocks for collective defence. A few examples of collective uh, hunting other species. Uh, plenty, of, plenty of examples of humans uh, forming, forming groups at the, at the drop of a hat and promoting their groups, sometimes at the expense of other groups. And you can find uh, examples of philosophers celebrating these, uh, these traits, whether, it, whether it's uh, mutualism as friendship or loyalty to a group or conformity or the adoption of, of local norms. But one, uh, one, if you go through the literature, one of the things you find is that everyone... Excuse me. Everyone, especially the philosophers, everyone thinks that their thing is the thing. Uh, so there's a lovely book by Josiah Royce on the philosophy of loyalty in 1908. And he, like everyone else, he says philosophy, uh, loyalty is the best thing because it's, only, it's, it's the crown of the virtues. Because it's only in the context of collective endeavour do you get an opportunity to express all the other virtues. And similarly, you can find people saying, Cicero saying, courage is the most important duty because it's only if you have the courage to act that you can do all the other things, and so on. One of the beauties of take it, taking a step back and having the uh, starting with the underlying theory of, uh, of cooperative games of non-zero-sum uh, interactions is you don't have to choose between all these different things. You have a whole palette of phenomena to play with. Uh, reciprocity, reciprocal altruism, is possibly the most uh, well-known example of a case of the evolution of cooperation. So well-known that people often just identify game theory with reciprocity, with, with prisoners' dilemmas. Uh, if you take nothing away f else away from this talk, just bear in mind that there is Prisoner's Dilemmas are not the only game. There are a range of different games. There are coordination games, uh, Prisoner's, Prisoner's Dilemmas, Hawk Dove games, and a range of different strategies for playing them, and, and many more. Ga game theory is bigger than, uh, 
there's, there's plenty yet to be mined from games theory. Uh, but reciprocity is the idea that uh, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and together we're, uh, we're better off as a result. There's a few examples of some other species doing some of these things, like vampire bats uh, exchanging uh, lucky vampire bats who found a full, full meal, uh, helping out the unlucky vampire bats who have gone hungry, and then returning the favour later on. That, it looks like they're probably engaging in reciprocity, but it's not entirely sure. Um, but there's no question that, that humans uh, engage in, in reciprocity in the full suite. Uh, it's been argued that there's a whole range of emotions and dispositions that make this possible. The, the initial uh, trusting move, opening up, giving someone, helping someone, making yourself vulnerable to the, to the chance of being cheated, expressing gratitude for receiving that benefit, uh, expressing guilt if you're not able to return it under, under the right circumstances, making amends uh, and, and being forgiven and re-establishing the cooperative uh, interaction. Um, and each of, these, each of these things, whether it's trust or gratitude or guilt or apology or forgiveness or reciprocity itself, uh, you can find tomes of philosophers and others celebrating the, the wonders of, uh, of these different moral emotions, these moral strategies as, uh, what, as important components of morality. Um, these last four are all different aspects of, uh, all different ways of resolving disputes. So uh, suppose Daniel and I are, which, and it's ironic, these tend to get overlooked in accounts of morality. Excuse me. Um, it's ironic because hawk-dove games were one of the first types of interaction to be analysed with evolutionary game theory um, in the early 70s by John Maynard Smith, and yet they kind of got lost in the shuffle. And the basic idea is, suppose Daniel, my co-author on this project, um, were in conflict over this glass of water, and here. Uh, there's, a number of, there's a number of things that we could do. We could just have a punch-up, and whoever has the biggest muscles would win. So, so Daniel would win. Uh, alternatively, we could say, well, instead of a bit punch up, let's just let's just flex our muscles at each other and agree whoever has the biggest muscles wins. In that case, it, the, the outcome would be the same: the person with the biggest muscles would win. But we would both benefit by avoiding the costs in terms of time and injury uh, of having a, a fight. Uh, and if uh, and if we did that, and Daniel flexed, we both flexed our muscles at each other, and Daniel had bigger muscles. And then I, then I would back off. So that we'd both be hawkish to start with and show off our fight-winning abilities or how, how powerful we were in a variety of different ways. And then the, uh, the, the weaker would back off and we would uh, avoid this, the cost of conflict. And in stable social groups, those kinds of contests can lead to dominance hierarchies where everyone knows their position. You don't need to keep having uh, those, uh, those status conflicts. Uh, those, these kinds of contests are extremely widespread in other species. Different animals do it in different ways. Some, some of them show off their, how, how heavy they are, uh, how, um, how big their antlers are, how heavy they are, how, how hard they can push. My favourite example is spiders who do it, but one particular species does it in how heavy they are. They both get on a web and start bouncing, and then whoever gets uh, bounced more back, uh, backs off, and the, the heavier, heavier one wins. Uh, some elephants do it, who's the smelliest, who's, got the, who's the funkiest. Uh, it can be done in a whole different variety of ways. Uh, humans also engage in these, what are called uh, ritual contests and display these traits. L um, it, luckily for us, humans seem to have found some sort of uh, extra pro-social ways of doing this. But, so showing off not just by how, uh, how sort of their brute strength, but also uh, 
pro-social acts like being brave, take, showing that they have fight-winning fight winning abilities by doing things that would be costly for an ordinary mortal, uh, and also showing off through conspicuous displays of generosity, like the famous uh, potlatches. Uh, and again, you can find philosophers celebrating these particular traits. I think Hume did it the best, where he has a whole passage in one of his books on religion, I want to say. Uh, one of his books on religion and treatises of human nature, where he, he's talking about the, the, monk, the heroic and the, monk, <coughs> and the monkish virtues, So the heroic, the, which pretty much speaks to themselves. The heroic virtues of, of uh, courage, uh, glory, um, uh, magnanimity and all the, all the other shining virtues, he says, as opposed to the, the, the monkish virtues of, uh, of deference, humility, quietude, abstinence, and uh, all the other things. Uh, an alternative strategy that Daniel I could pursue is uh, division. So instead of, <coughs> instead of fighting winner takes all, we could divide the resource in some way. Uh, there's a variety of different ways. Some primates do seem to do that some of the time. Lots of species do that with their territorial boundaries. Humans seem to do see, humans do that too, often using split the difference or let's meet in the middle as a decision rule for in bargaining contexts. And fairness, negotiation, and compromise are, can also be found celebrated in the literature. Uh, and finally, we could defer, I could defer to prior ownership. So if Daniel already has, if Daniel got there first, then the rule uh, defer to defer to prior possession is also a stable rule that avoids a punch-up. So, there are lots of different types of cooperation. Humans have uh, mechanisms, dispositions for cooperating in these different ways, and these different traits are celebrated as philosophers, as components of morality are. They have the label moral attached to them. Uh, this is the, the nerds version of the table. Here's a slightly simpler cut-out-and-keep version of the table, which is the same same idea. Uh, what's next? Oh, and if you take this, if you, if you start with the, the maths of cooperation with, with uh, evolutionary game theory, <coughs> you arrive at a, a broader and more comprehensive account of morality than previous schemes. So the, the sort of nearest rival, as it were, is Jonathan Haidt's moral foundations theory. Um, whereas, whereas we're proposing that there are seven distinct types of cooperation and hence seven, uh, at least seven distinct types of morality, Jonathan Haidt has, um, has argued that there's five. Uh, although uh, Haidt claims that his account is also an evolutionary slash cooperative view of morality, his scheme misses, doesn't have a domain dedicated to <coughs> doesn't have a domain dedicated to uh, to kin altruism, to reciprocal altruism, to costly signals of prowess like uh, hawkish bravery, uh, or to property rights, uh, which seem to be a major omission for any attempt to use game theory to explain morality. Uh, he also has a couple of categories that I think are a jumble of different things, but that's another talk. So, uh, oh, and here's some, just some more examples of uh, different, different philosophers in different places celebrating these different, uh, these different rules. Okay. So, <clears throat> one. Uh, so I said before this was a uh, scientific account of morality, and it's scientific in at least two ways. 
One is that it doesn't make use, it makes use only of well-established aspects of the natural sciences. It doesn't, it doesn't make any use, of, obviously, of supernatural elements or causes, just, uh, just evolution, culture, and, and human behavior. Uh, it's also scientific in the sense that it makes predictions. One of the most basic predictions is that if it's the case that morality is just the name that we give to these, these biological, psychological, cultural dispositions, it should be the case that people refer to these cooperative dispositions as moral. Uh, if, if moral is just a label for these things, it should be that people label these things moral. Um, and, it should, and, that sh and, it, and that should be the case, if this theory of morality is true, that should be the case not just, not just here or in the West, but it should be the case everywhere. Or to what extent is this the case everywhere? <coughs> uh, is it the case that different peoples around the, around the world would agree on this account of morality? Or is it that different people in different places would have radically different conceptions of, of the content of morality, or what it means to be moral, and perhaps it could mean something completely different? Now, this debate about moral, moral universals or moral relativism has obviously raged in the literature for centuries, and you can find people at uh, every end of the spectrum and, and everywhere in between. For example, here's David Hume, who argued that we had a, an innate moral sense uh, arguing that nature has made moral judgments universal in the whole species and a variety of virtues, truth, justice, courage, temperance, uh, dignity, sympathy are universal principles of morals esteemed universally since the foundation of the world in all nations of ages. So there's a kind of a strong universalist position on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, you have, for example, you have uh, John Locke taking the exact opposite position, saying that there is, there's no principle of morality in one place that you can't find a direct counterexample of in another place. So this, there's, there's no principle of morality which is not somewhere or other slighted and condemned by whole societies of men. And in a similar vein, here's the American Anthropological Association fighting the good fight against the UN Declaration of Human Rights, saying basically the same thing, that there's ideas of right and wrong, good and evil, differ in their expression among different people. What's held to be a right in one place may be regarded as antisocial uh, in another. Uh, and which brings me to the, this particular room. So one of the genesis of this project was I was teaching a class on the evolution of morality and whether morality was, I think it was, whether morality was innate or learnt or universal or not. And in, this, in the debate, both sides strongly asserted, one side strongly asserted that morality was, there were universal moral values. And the other side strongly asserted that morality was different in different places. And there are plenty of counterexamples. And I thought, well, they obviously can't both be true. I, and I thought, but I don't really know the literature on this. I wonder what, uh, I wonder what the data looks like, what the literature looks like. And, I, and when I went to look for it, I found that nobody really knows or knew. <coughs> so again, I'm not expecting you to read all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, here's just, but here's a, here are the bunch of studies that I could find that looked at morality and moral values in, in three, or more, compared to three or more cultures. And so there, there are lots of studies doing this, uh, lots of good stuff out there. But the short version is the, it's, this literature is patchy. Uh, there are, there's work showing that some types of morality are present in some places, uh, but there's no study that looks at all the types of morality that I was interested in in all of the places, or at least not in one coherent data set. 
one, one coherent, coherent source. Uh, also, the dip, all these different studies use different measures in different places, making the results sort of impossible to, uh, to combine. So in some places, it's, uh, they're ethnographic accounts, ethnographic reviews. In other places, someone's read all of the world's holy books. In another case, they've, uh, there's a survey, a, a questionnaire. In another case, it's an experiment asking people about uh, yet more stuff about trolley problems. Um, so, or in another place, it's, the question is, are, are you good in the following ways? And other, and other, and other times the question is, um, what do you think is good? So which is a slightly different question. So it's, it's impossible to combine them all into one overall, come to, come to a conclusion. And uh, even the things that you, even the work that you think would answer the question, like the World Values Survey, that sounds good. That sounds like it's going to have a survey of world values in it, and maybe some moral values. Even that uh, doesn't do the trick. It has one fairly vague questionnaire and a handful of questions about is it good to litter and is it good to um, pay your taxes and sort of lower level things rather than more general moral <coughs> principles. Um, and as a result, opinions still vary and you still find, you still find modern day, well actually that's a bit over, I was about to say you can find modern day Humes and Locke still battling out, that's probably overstating the case. But um, for example, Donald Brown's book Human Universals uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic book, it's a very humane book, and in that he asserts that uh, empathy, reciprocity, etiquette, hospitality are universal moral values. But there's no data in that book. Uh, it's, a, it's a conjecture, it's a hypothesis. Uh, that book always gets cited as providing this shows that X is universal, but th these were well-motivated hypotheses with no data. Um, it couldn't be any more because there wasn't any data that he could cite on this. And, and at the other end of the spectrum we have the uh, the the blue-haired philosopher Jesse Prince taking exactly the opposite view, arguing that there are no moral universals, or if they are, no one's found them, and they be they they seem to be impossible to find. So you still have this huge diversity of, of opinion yeah. in both extremes. So, in order to resolve this uncertainty and answer this question, my colleagues and I <coughs> uh, went to went to the archives. We went to the, the human relations area files. Uh, which hands up if you know what the human relations area files are. Okay, so about half. So for those, for the for the rest of you, so the human relations area files is a, an archive of ethnographic monographs and books housed at Yale. It's been running for. Uh, Daniel is the expert on HRAP, and he's going to stare at me if I get any of these details wrong. <laughs> um, so it's a uh, it's an archive that's been running for uh, since the fifties. 1950s, okay, good. And it contains uh, thousands of ethnographies on hundreds of cultures around the world <coughs> uh, that, have, that meet a certain quality threshold that, in which the, the authors have, have lived in the country for two years, uh, speak the language, um, and had their work published, and then it, it uh, goes in this uh, archive. And uh, when that happens, some poor soul's job is to go through those, those books and label each paragraph by topic. So you, so it might, you might be, uh, and there's, there's uh, 150 different topic labels. Um, and for our purposes, um, it's helpful that one of those labels is ethics uh, another, and another is norms. But depending on what you're interested in, you can go into the archive. It used to be, it used to be by hand, then it was microfiche, then it was CD-ROM. Now it's, now it's a, now, then it was a wonky website, and now it's a less wonky website. You should check it out. As Oxford 
members of Oxford, you have access to it. It's a, it's a gold mine. But depending on what you're interested in, you can go into this archive and say, OK, I want to give me all the paragraphs on uh, marriage rituals in this society, or all the marriage rituals in, in this continent, or give me marriage rituals in 10 places in a, in a random selection. And you might go into that and you might find, oh, OK, this paragraph's about marriage and dress codes. Oh, the next paragraph is about uh, marriage and feasting practices, and so on. Anyway, we downloaded from this archive all the paragraphs. Oh, and of all the hundreds of societies that are in this archive, <coughs> there's something called, something called the probability sample file of 60 cultures that have been the standard sampling frame since the late 60s. So at one point, it, they decided, in order to, uh, to sort of focus on a common set of cultures, we, we, need to, we need to pick a representative sample of cultures from around the world. They're, they're the ones dotted here on the map. Uh, uh, a representative sample of cultures around the world that everyone doing their various different projects on, if we all covered these 60, then we, we'd also be able to compare results between different projects. So although there are many projects looking at other cultures, most comparative anthropology using HRF has tended to use this, uh, this sample of 60 cultures. So we downloaded, <coughs> we downloaded from these 60 cultures all, all of the material, all the paragraphs that were labelled ethics, all the paragraphs that were labelled norms, um, and scooped up a few more paragraphs using keyword searches for the different types of cooperation we were, we were interested in. And what we wanted to know was, in each, in each case, here was our codebook, uh, we wanted to know that when these cooperative behaviours turned up, when they were described in these paragraphs, were they given a moral valence, and if so, what, was that moral valence positive or negative? So what we were looking for in each of these seven cases, the same categories as before, um, we had some uh, examples of the kinds of behaviours that were qualified, would be examples of these, uh, these cooperative concepts. And if, if, they were, if they were described in the paragraph, were they described as good, right, moral, ethical, ethical, virtuous, obligatory, and so on, or were they described as, as bad, as immoral, unethical, evil, and so on. And we were, oh, and, and so here's an example. Uh, so here's a paragraph from a Korean ethnography describing Korean Confucian morality. Uh, it says that uh, among, among the principles of Confucian morality are, uh, are parental care and respect for your parents, that, um, that debts should be repaid. Uh, so debts or favours should be returned, should be reciprocated, and um, the, uh, the proper relation, the young should be subordinate to the old, so the young should respect their elders. So in that case, we would say, okay, well, here's an example of uh, kid altruism being considered morally good. These are all cardinal concepts of, of traditional morality. Uh, <coughs> reciprocating is considered morally good, and respect, uh, respecting your superiors is considered morally good as well. They weren't all as clear-cut as this. There was others that were a bit more reading between the lines. But we had three people reading these, uh, these different paragraphs, making their own <laughs> coding decisions. And then, as is typical for this kind of work, we would confer at the end and resolve uh, disagreements. And I, I think our, you can measure our degree of disagreement, and it was moderate to good. And then we resolved the, uh, the remaining disagreements by flexing our muscles at each other. And uh, eventually, we came to, the, uh, to a consensus. And we were basically interested in three things. So the, 
So the basic question was, were, were these traits considered morally good or morally bad? Uh, was Hume correct that there are, there are some traits that are considered good everywhere, uh, are considered universally good? Or was Locke correct that, there's, that there would be there would be some more than none, a substantial number of counterexamples where these same principles were considered morally uh, bad. Uh, so this was, this was one question we had. We also wanted to know what's the... Oh, well, we'll get to the next question. Um, so once we'd finished going through the coding, we had, we'd made, we made 962 observations of the moral valence of one or other of these cooperative behaviours. With me so far? Um, so how were, these, uh, how were these observations distributed? How many were positive, how many were negative? Well, you don't have to be a statistician to see that there's a, there's a substantial difference between the number that were considered positive and the number that were considered negative. <coughs> they were so surprisingly positive to me that uh, I thought it was almost too good to be true, but we all came to this conclusion. Um, and luckily there was at least one counterexample just to make it just to try and convince you that I wasn't completely making it up. Um, this was, this was a, a paragraph describing the, the chook in Micronesia, where one paragraph said, open theft is considered admirable because it shows the bravery of the thief. So even this counterexample, in a way, was an exception that proved the rule because it was, it, was a, um, it was saying property was good because it displayed one of the other, um, one of the other kinds of traits that we were interested in. <coughs> uh, so the next question is, okay, well, how were these uh, observations distributed? It could have been the case that all, all 900 observations all came from one or a few cultures or one or a few ethno uh, ethnographies. Um, was it the case that were, these were very rare in just a few places, or, or was it the case that they were very common? Uh, did we, how frequent were they in, when we look across the world? Well. Uh, here's, here's what we were trying to um, here's how we tried to make sense of that here's our we're trying to populate this grid essentially so here are the 60 societies that we're interested in on the top and here are the 7 cooperative moral traits that we're interested in um, where do these different observations fall well again as you can see uh, they are very common. Most of these observations, for you find examples of most of these cooperative morals in, in most places, uh, with, one, with one exception, fairness, which we'll come back to. Uh, here's exactly the same data, just, this is just, that grid just tipped up and all the balls fall down. So again, it just shows that we found exam examples of uh, most of these morals in, in most places, and again, no, like I say, no counterexamples. There are no there are no cultures in which any of these traits were considered morally bad. And that includes the chook, because although there was that one paragraph giving the example of um, open theft being brave, there were plenty of other paragraphs giving the usual uh, report that, that theft was bad and, and very much punished and respect for personal property was very important, uh, and so on. Um, another question was, how are these societies distributed? Was it the case that... Uh, these societies tended to be in one region or another. Was this just, did we find most of these observations in the west as opposed to the east or the north or the south or one region or another? These, <laughs> these 60 cultures are, there's approximately 10 from each cultural region, which approximately are uh, the different continents. So how were these observations 
distributed around the world. Um, and, and briefly, this is just a statistical test to say, did they occur with equal or unequal frequency? And the answer is with equal frequency. So these, these even even the ones that were uh, that were relatively rare, they were they were observed with approximately equal frequency uh, in different regions around the world. So it wasn't the case that this was uh, a Western or an Eastern or Northern or a Southern view of morality. And here's just some examples of uh, some of the, the quotes that we pulled from some of this material. And I have to say, what was surprising, having, having read through these um, half a million words from 600 different sources about these 60 different societies, never again is one conclusion, <laughs> but um, uh, what was surprising to me was that nothing was, there was nothing in there surprising. Uh, time and time again, <coughs> we would just see the same kinds of rules coming up, albeit with, with different names, different, um, different uh, emphases, but really nothing that was completely bizarre. <laughs> I, I expected to go into this material and obviously find some plenty of examples of kin altruism and reciprocity and bravery and all the rest, but I also thought there was going to be a whole range of completely bizarre uh, morals that would, be, that would really confound the theory or there would be a, a real challenge for the theory to try to explain. But I can, perhaps Daniel, I can stand before you today uh, and say there was, there was nothing in there that was particularly puzzling or that wouldn't that would strike any of you, I suspect, especially anthropologists, um, as particularly alien uh, or bizarre. Certainly some of the priorities are different and not the ones that we would have, um, but in terms, of the, in terms of these principles, there was nothing uh, exceptionally out of the ordinary. So let me just summarise where we've got to so far. So according to this, uh, this review of the, of the ethnographic record in HRAV, cooperate, these cooperative traits are always considered morally good, 99.9% um, .9 of the time. Even the one exception seems to be the exception that prove, proves the rule. Uh, it's also the case that these cooperative morals are common. They're present in most of the cultures that we looked at. And there are no counterexamples, no cultures where any of these seven traits were considered morally bad. Uh, they were observed with equal frequency across the world. And together, this gives <coughs> strong support for the theory of morality as cooperation and no support for the alternative, more extreme version at least the more extreme versions of, of moral relativism, that the meaning of morality is radically different um, from place to place. Now, of course, the... Oh, let me just say a couple of things about the, um, about the data. So why were there gaps in the record? Why wasn't it the case that all of these things were, were observed in all of the cultures we looked at? And I think there's a variety of, of reasons for that. Uh, one is, is serendipity. So it wasn't the case that these anthropologists were uh, these, these sources, I should say, were um, the average publication date was 19, the 1940s, I think, um, and it's, they spanned, they sort of, there was one in the 1700s and they got going in the um, late 1800s and peaked around the war and uh, up, up to the modern day. Um, but obviously these anthropologists weren't sent out to test these particular theories. They didn't go out with our checklist and ask their, their respective um, informants to, to answer the questionnaire. We were just relying on people having happened to have made these, <coughs> these observations, having happened to record um, the aspects of the ethics of the people that they were with. Um, it could be the case that it just so happened that no one that went to a particular culture happened to write a book about their ethics. They were more interested in other aspects of their um, lives. 
And certainly we found that there was a correlation between the amount of material on a culture and the amount of observations that we made, implying that if they'd all been covered to the, to the same extent, if there's similar ethnographic coverage, we would have made more observations um, and had more hits in these, uh, for each of these traits. Um, so, um, if anything, the, the, our findings are, are a lower bound, or, an under, or at least an underestimate of how common these particular morals are. And if we had perfect data, if we did go back with a checklist, we would find um, more examples. Um, but it's also the, oh, and uh, another, another confound, I think, is the, uh, or an artifact of the way the data was collected, is that not all, the, not all of the bins were of equal size. So, for example, kin altruism, there are, there are many things that would qualify as, as an example of kin altruism. Uh, uh, parents helping their kids, brothers helping their <coughs> brothers, cousins helping their cousins, and so on. So there, there are lots of examples of that that might meet the criteria and get, get included. Whereas, when it came to something like fairness, we were looking for something very specific, which was dividing a resource in order to forestall a, uh, a dispute. And so although there were many, many more examples of just people being described as fair or as sharing, uh, it wasn't always clear that sharing, it wasn't always clear that that was exactly the thing we were looking for, or whether sharing was being used as, in a more general way that the a father would share the, his, his, his wealth with his kids, or in a um, in just, a, just as a synonym for, for giving or helping. So um, although there are lots of examples of fairness, they didn't quite meet the bill. We were looking for something very specific, and so we, uh, it was a very narrow target to hit, so we, we saw fewer of them. Um, but it's also the case that the theory doesn't predict, and, and we didn't find that moral systems would be identical uh, across the world, that there would be no differences whatsoever. Um, on the contrary, what we, broadly speaking, what, what we expect is that, what the theory predicts is that moral values would, should reflect the value of different types of cooperation in different places. So in societies where, uh, in societies where people live in large extended families and most of, uh, a, large, a, a large proportion of their social interactions are with kin, we might expect family values to, to loom larger. In, in the West, if we're living more in nuclear families, uh, isolated from our extended kin, and more of our interactions are with, are with uh, fleeting interactions with strangers, then we might expect the values of, um, of uh, reciprocity and fairness to, to loom larger. So the prediction isn't, um, uh, isn't identity. We, ex we expect there to be some uh, variation reflecting local social and ecological conditions. And although our data, we weren't able to put a value on how strongly these different moral values were endorsed. <coughs> it was just a kind of binary category of were they present or not. Um, it was certainly our impression that different values are more important in different places. Um, in, in some places it was more important to fulfill your obligations to your family than it was to um, fulfill the obligations of justice and, and report your father to the authorities. In other places those priorities um, were reversed. So the same, our sense was that everyone has, uh, everyone has the same knobs, but they're twiddled in slightly different ways. And one of the things we want to do now is we've developed a, a moral values questionnaire that assess, assesses the importance people place on these different uh, moral values. And one follow-up study we want to do is test these theories by gathering new data uh, from contemporary populations to see uh, whether the, the strength of the moral values in these different domains reflects these, uh, these predictions. 
and of course we have to keep in mind the, uh, the limitations of this particular study. So we looked at seven types of cooperation in 60 cultures. In principle, we could look at more types of cooperation in more cultures. Uh, there are, we were, we were, this was a kind of first pass in the sense that we were looking for the, the sort of the best and most straightforward example of a cooperative behavior in each category. We could go back and look in more fine-grained detail at specific behaviors uh, within each category. So I said before that reciprocity includes things like uh, forgiveness. We could go back at a finer grain and look at the the valence and the prevalence uh, of forgiveness. Uh, there are also a whole, whole bunch of different aspects of morality that, were, that are at present beyond the, um, the have yet to be explained uh, from a cooperative perspective, and it remains an open question whether and to what extent the theory could extend to incorporate them. Uh, there were certainly lots of, in the material, there were certainly lots of examples of the, uh, the, the, morality, the morality and immorality of of laziness, telling the truth, sexual morality, honesty, hospitality, gossip, a whole range of other traits. So we could go back and look at um, developed theories to try and make sense of these other um, aspects of morality too. Um, and of course we looked at this standard sampling frame of 60 cultures. One of the reasons that 60 cultures were chosen was to avoid Galton's problem of the non-independence uh, of uh, observations. There are now statistical ways of doing that so in principle, you could go back and look at all of look at uh, the full range of, of cultures in the archive and use statistical techniques to control for non-independence. Like as I indicated before, I think that's going to be um, we're not going to do it by hand again. Uh, so at the moment, we're looking for we're trying to automate it. So we're trying to look for some mechanical ways of um, of reading the text, of coding the text, and making sense of the text. Um, but that would enable us to throw the net wider and give an even more thorough test and look for <coughs> potential counterexamples. So in future we hope to investigate more morals in more ways in more places. Okay, so to wrap up, I've argued that morality is all about cooperation. I've said that because there's many different types of cooperation, we should expect and find many different types of morality. These types of morality are, can be found all over the world. And future, value, future research should investigate how and why these moral values vary in different places. And generally speaking, the, the ultimate conclusion is that the more that we treat morality as just uh, as not something mysterious, not something magical or special, um, as just another aspect of human psychology and human behaviour, and bring the usual tools of science to bear on it, the, the, the more we can understand it, uh, the more we can understand what it means to be human, uh, to be moral. Thank you very much. Thank you.